Well, have you been enjoying really over these? We've taken the last 40 days of the year. The last 40 days of the year, I think now we're on week six or maybe week seven or whatnot. Pastor Ashley came about six weeks ago and kind of helped kick this off for us. But really for us as a church, obviously we've made this decision that we are going to end the year rich in faith. Rich in faith. Have you been enjoying so far these, this journey of becoming rich in faith and maybe what that means? I remember the first time Pastor Ashley said, we're going to be rich in faith. I'm like, what does that mean, right? You know, like, it, was, it sounded great. It sounded inspiring, but it's like, I need you to unpack this a little bit of what it really means to be rich in faith. I know what it means to have faith, at least I think that I do, right? But what does it mean to be rich in faith? And really, we've taken these last several weeks on a Sunday morning and just going through this journey of unpacking of what it means to be rich in faith. And my prayer, as you know, is not just that we end this chaotic year that I'm sure all of us have different perspectives, thoughts, and feelings on, right, uh, of how this year has been. But my, my prayer is not that we would just end the year rich in faith because oftentimes we think God moves in seasons. And that is true in the sense of, obviously, that's the way that God created earth, right? We have seasons. We know that there's seasons that we go through physically, environmentally, spiritually, relationally. But if you read scripture, Jesus has designed a life for you and I that no matter the season, we would bear fruit in all seasons, right? And so it may be a winter season. You ever met somebody? I'm just going through a winter season in my soul, right? You know what I mean? It's like, oh, you feel dead inside. Okay, why don't you just tell me that, right? And next time, you know, that's really what you mean, but you're giving me the spirit spiritual terminology of it's just winter between me and Jesus, right? But Jesus has promised a life. Jesus has promised a life to you and I that we can bear fruit even in the most uncertain seasons, the most cold seasons, the most barren seasons. I can still be fruitful in all things. Why? Because my source is not in my emotions. My source is in the fruit producer, and that is Jesus, right? And so to be rich in faith, I'm not here to give you a master class on how to survive the end of the year, but rather how to institute things in who we are as believers and who we are as Christ followers that says, listen, even if 2021 looks a lot like 2020, right, which we pray and hope that it doesn't, right, but even if it does, I can still have joy, I can still have peace, I can still have my sanity, I can still have confidence, I can still believe to God to do the exceedingly and the abundantly. Why? Because my faith is not circumstantial, my faith is rich because of who my faith is in. Are you with me this morning? I haven't even started preaching yet, but we're getting there, all right? And so here we are. We've made this decision to be rich in faith. What does it mean to be rich in faith? So I'm going to take us through just a couple of bullet points that kind of dials in the last several weeks. So that way, if you've been in and out a bit, maybe you're visiting for the very first time, don't worry. You're not going to be lost in today's message. And then you guys, today is a special day because we're finally going to finish Hebrews chapter 12. I've only been saying it for about five weeks now, but we're going to finish this passage of scripture. But I'm going to take us through just a few bullet points that dials us back in. Our verse that we've kind of centered this whole series around, James chapter 2, verse 5, on the screens, says this. It says, listen to me. Little brother James here with the little brother terminology. Listen to me. Dear brothers and sisters, hasn't God chosen the poor in this world to be rich 
in faith. So in other words, if I can be rich in faith, then the opposite must also be true. I can be poor in faith, right? And so we have been learning how do I get rich, right? I went to church to find out how to be rich, right? You know, that's, I'm sure, the thing that'll be trending on social media, right? Church talks about how to get rich, right? How to be rich in faith. If I can be rich in faith, I can also be poor in faith, right? And so we've been understanding, walking through a journey that says, listen, faith is the currency that God has instituted to unlock the things of heaven, right? It is, the, it is the mechanism that unlocks the kingdom of heaven, that unlocks the miraculous. Every time Jesus performed any miracle, came in contact with anybody, he always addressed them, not by on the severity of their need, not on their social economic status, always on the amount of their faith. O ye of little faith. Your faith has healed you. I've never seen faith like this before, Jesus said to the centurion officer, right? He was never referring to them at the severity of their problem, always into the amounts of their faith. And so faith is this currency. It's this mechanism that begins to unlock the principles of heaven, right? And we know, once again, familiar passage of Scripture, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, says this, It is impossible. Everybody say impossible. It's impossible to please God without faith, and anyone who wants to come to him must believe that he exists. Not that he existed, but that he presently exists, and that he rewards those who sincerely pursue him, sincerely seek him. So I can't even do a single thing that is pleasing to God without faith. Scripture would describe that I can't even be saved without faith. We are saved by faith. That word faith means to be divinely persuaded. So I can, I am saved by faith through grace, through the gift that Jesus has offered through his sacrifice, right? So it's impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him, right? And we talked about this several weeks ago, how the reward to our faith is not just the meeting of our need, but it's the deposit of more faith, right? When I believe God for something and he comes through, I not only receive what he's come through on, but now I have the ability to believe him for greater things, right? And so that is part of the reward. Then Jesus would also say, say things like this, Matthew chapter 21, it says, Jesus told them, I tell you the truth, if you have faith, Right, And this is where we like wanted the period in the sentence to be. But no, he says, if you have faith and you don't doubt, you can say things like this. You can do things like I'm doing and much more. You can even say to this mountain, may you be lifted up, thrown into the sea, and it will happen. You can pray for anything. And if you have faith, you will receive it. But the thing that we've had to guard ourselves from is the natural tendency that all of us have, which is what? Doubt. Right, the leaking of our faith. We've talked about that. Pastor Ashley expanded on that last week. And so really this morning, what I want to do is I want to pick up where we've left off these last several weeks, and I promise we're going to get to the end this time, of Hebrews chapter 12. This is really the area of Scripture that I have been mulling over a ton, reading over and over again, ruminating on. I just think it so applies because... The analogy that I've been really using with us is, listen, if I'm, if I'm rich, anybody can be rich in a moment. Anybody can have a momentary richness of faith, right? Peter walking on the water, he had great faith, but Jesus referred to his faith as little faith. 
And I don't know about you, but I've never walked on water before. So if, if what Peter had was little faith, I'm hopeless. But he wasn't saying, hey, he wasn't talking about, he was talking about the longevity of his faith. Peter had great faith for about three steps. But his faith ran out when he got to step four and he began to sink. And most of us are very much like Peter. We've had seasons or needs or desperation moments where we've had great faith for about three steps. But when we had to take that fourth step or fifth step, there was no faith left. We had great faith in a snapshot, but we had no longevity of faith, right? And so really what the writer of Hebrews we've been looking at, the whole book of the Bible, Hebrews, is written to Jewish Christians who have started with faith but are slowly running out of faith and are thinking about abandoning faith altogether. They're thinking about opting out of this faith life of trusting Jesus. They said, you know what, this has been really great for a time, but it's, I'm kind of weary. I'm facing persecution. I'm, wait, I'm facing um, social pressure, governmental pressure, right? People, um, all of these type of things. I'm thinking about abandoning ship. I'm thinking about taking on a different belief system. I'm thinking about going a different direction. And the writer of Hebrews has written this entire story, this entire letter, excuse me, if you will, trying to convince them, hey, don't opt out. And I felt this way about 2020. You've heard me say this a lot over this year about how I feel like the most deadly thing about, about this year has not been coronavirus. It's been isolation. It's been people left alone, ruminating in their thoughts, right, and things along those lines. But I, God gave me this phrase early in, in, um, in quarantine that quarantine didn't change us. It just exposed us. It just exposed who we really were. It exposed what our faith was really in how much we really trusted God, how much we really believed in His promises, how all of those type of things. It's been an exposing season. It's been things bringing me brought into the life, uh, excuse me, into light. But it's also been a strengthening season, right? God can't strengthen or heal what we don't first allow Him to reveal, right? So it's been that type of season for us. And so when I'm looking coming into the end of the year, but once again, not just wanting to help you get through the next 7, 8, 9, 11 days of the year, but rather how do we develop a lifestyle around this, I think the writer of Hebrews cracks the code in Hebrews chapter 12. In Hebrews chapter 12, he begins to describe, after talking so much about not throwing away your confidence, and, and without faith it's impossible to please God like we, like we mentioned a moment ago, he then progresses his conversation along, so th something I, be I believe has been really timely for us today. I'm going to reread the first three verses of Hebrews 12. Just track with me just for a moment. Are you with me already this morning? Okay, good. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. I'm going to read just these first three verses, and then we're going to get into new material this morning. It says this. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight. Everybody say every weight. Every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And we talked, uh, we spent a whole Sunday morning on this one verse, talking about the differentiations between the weight slowing us down and the sin tripping us up. And how, frankly, there is weight in our life that may be in the, it may be a, a mindset, it may be insecurity, it may be actual relationships with people that aren't necessarily sin, but they are the hindrance to us from running at the pace that God has called us to run. And we're fixated on the sin, and rightfully so, understandably so. But I think it's interesting that the writer of Hebrews, he didn't say the sin that trips you up and then the weight that slows you down. He was like, you're going to have no problem seeing the sin. I need to bring your attention to the weight that's slowing you down. 
I began to think about this a little bit further. Let me take this one step further, I promise, and then we're going to get there, okay? So in this analogy of the weight that slows you down. Now, if I looked at the room and I said, hey, I can guarantee you're going to lose 20 pounds. Right? Some of y'all be like, glory to God. God, I came to church this morning, right? The Lord answered my prayer, right? If I said, hey, you can lose 20 pounds right now. Those of you who are aspiring to lose weight in the room would have no problem telling me exactly where you want those 20 pounds to come from. You're like, oh, pasta, oh, pasta, oh, pasta, oh, pasta, oh, pasta, right? You're like, I've got a body part for you, right? Just take it. 20, if, if there's 20, I got the spot. Why? Because there is weight in our life that if, if, we, if it was taken from us, we would gladly offer it up, right? And say, God, I have, Lord, please take this weight. You know what I mean? Some of y'all are thinking about three family members right now. Lord, just take them. You know what I mean? You, just, you can have them, right? If there's weight that you want to take, I got names for you, right? With some, most of us, when we're thinking about weight, sewing us down and weight that we need to deal with, we immediately are fixated on the things that are causing us the most pain or the things that are getting on our nerves, right, or things like that. But here's the truth about losing weight. If you've ever lost weight before, you've gotten into the gym, you've gone on a healthy eating plan or whatever it may be, you don't just lose weight in the places that you're most insecure about. You begin to lose weight everywhere. And when I look at 2020, I feel like God's been trying to help us shed some weight, and there's been some that we have voluntarily offered up to Him, but there's other weight that we've said, hang on, Jesus, I actually kind of like the way that makes me look. Man, I could preach a whole nother message on Hebrews 12, chapter, uh, verse 1, but I ain't got time for that, okay? Maybe in a new year, new you, and we'll get there, okay? But just an extra nugget for you this morning. That when I begin to get healthy, when I begin to I fix my eyes on Jesus, that Hebrews goes on to talk about, we'll read this in a second, and I, I begin to run, the more in shape I get, the more weight I shed, and it's not just the insecure weight that I would gladly offer up, God then begins to deal with weight that's slowing us down that we've just grown accustomed to looking at and dealing with. And so maybe in this season you've lost a relationship. Maybe in this season you've lost a facet of your life that you go, man, that hurts. I kind of liked the way that felt. I kind of liked the way that looked. But listen, when we begin to get healthy in the things of God and our faith begins to be this, this thing that is progressively moving us forward, it doesn't just deal with the weight that we would gladly offer up. God's coming for all the weight that's slowing you down this morning. Are you with me? It says, let us run with endurance the race God has set before this, us. We do this by doing what? Keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Author, finisher, began a good work, see it to completion. Because of the joy awaiting him, he, speaking of Jesus, endured the cross, disregarding its shame. And now he's seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility that he endured from sinful people. And you won't become weary and give up. You won't become weary and give up. So this writer of Hebrews is starting this whole conversation after beginning to lay the case for faith, if you will, to not abandon faith, but to get, and then how do I get longevity in my faith? Not richness in a moment, but something sustainable to a lifetime, right? A rich man isn't just rich for his lifetime. A rich man leaves an inheritance to his children and his children's children and his children's children. And so God is wanting to establish in you a richness in your faith that doesn't start and end with you, but travels to the next generation and the next generation. Why are you a man of faith? Well, my grandfather unlocked the code generations ago and being a rich 
in faith person. And so he says, how do we do this? We shed the weight that's slowing us down. We, especially the sin that strips us up. We fix our eyes on Jesus. We, we think about what he's doing. And then, and then it goes on to talk about discipline and things that happen in our lives and how God is able to make it work together for good. And if, if we would see every trial, every obstacle, every pandemic, every 2020 moment through the lens of what Jesus is developing in me, the writer of Hebrews says, come on, keep going. There's a maturity. There's a strengthening. There's a longevity in your faith. And then we're going to get to this morning, verse 14. Are you still with me? Verse 14, I just really felt like God has challenged us to just go verse by verse through this. If you've heard me preach a lot, we don't do a whole lot of this, uh, but I just I want to teach you this morning. Is that okay? We're just going to go verse by verse and just unlock it. Verse 14, Hebrews chapter 12 says this. It says work. Everybody say work. <laughs> Y'all like this is the wrong message for me, right? Work at living in peace with everyone. Once again, this is all through the context of how are you going to be rich in faith? How are you going to have longevity of faith? How are you going to pass down faith to generation to generation? How are you going to live a lifestyle of faith? Well, after he talks about the weight and the sin and the fixing your eyes and, and seeing the, from a heavenly perspective the things that with trials we go through, he says, oh yeah, you want to say being rich in faith? Well, you need to work. You need to work at living in peace with only those you like. Oh no. He says, work at living in peace with everyone. Then he says, work at living a holy life for those who are not holy will not see the Lord. Woo-hoo. Listen, don't suit the preacher this morning, all right? I'm just reading. Some of y'all are like, is this the RRV, the Ryan Rose version? No, this is not. This is, this is straight out the word, all right? You can have, see it in the Greek, you know, all, get all your commentaries, right? Work at living in peace with everyone and work at living a holy life. Notice it doesn't say, by being a Christian, you will just have peace with everyone and you will just be holy. See, we've put some false advertising around Christianity. Of that, if I just pray a prayer, right? We, we read Romans 10 and 9, if I believe in my heart and I confess in my mouth, then I shall be saved. And yes, something truly transformational takes place in that moment. Jesus becoming Lord of your life. But we think, all right, that's it. I've prayed the magical Houdini prayer and all is, there's peace everywhere. There's joy everywhere. My life has turned into the sound of music, right? You know, it's just like, ah, right, everywhere I go. It's like, no, writers here are saying, hey, hey, there's, there's an application. And what a better verse to look at and then when we're about to step and see some family members that we maybe aren't crazy about seeing, right? You know what I mean? This week. No, just me? Okay. Extend your prayers towards the preacher this morning, all right? But it says, work at living in peace with everyone. Work at living a holy life. For those who are not holy will not see the Lord. Okay, let's, let's look at this, this verse just for a second. That word work literally means to aggressively chase like a hunter. So you've got to have an aggressive pursuit of peace. You've got to have an aggressive pursuit for holiness. It doesn't just happen. We can't just think, uh, think these things into being or I dream a genie moments where we just go, all right, there's peace with everybody, right? Some of y'all didn't know I was that old, right? But anyways, to aggressively chase like a hunter. What does that word peace mean? Peace literally means, it's the, the Greek word irene, which means wholeness, to be 
tied together. So in other words, to take the things that are naturally trying to be pulled apart, and, and the writer of Hebrews is saying, you need to aggressively pursue grabbing the things that are divided and start tying them together. Ooh, some of y'all are like, but you don't know my mom. You know what I mean? But listen, I don't, but Jesus does. You know what I mean? And he is with you always. And he knows your mom. And he knows your crazy uncle. And he knows that coworker, right? And he's saying, the writer here is saying, you need to aggressively pursue what is divided. And it is your responsibility to start tying these things together. Then it says, work it living a holy life. What is this holy life? It is this consecration. It's this transformed into the likeness of God. It is purity. In other words, that it is a decision, once again, to take my natural self, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak, to take my flesh and make it a slave to my spirit. That doesn't come by thinking a certain way. That comes by an aggressive, intentional pursuit to bring it together. Are you with me this morning? So how do I get longevity of faith? How do I have richness in faith? How do I live a life of faith, right? I've got to work at living in peace with everyone, and I've got to work at living a holy life. For those who are not holy, excuse me, yeah, for those who are not holy will not see the Lord. Then verse 15, look after each other so that no one fails to receive the grace of God and watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. Look out, look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. So that, once again, the writer of Hebrews is taking us through this progression. You've got to aggressively pursue peace, wholeness, grabbing what is divided, tying it together. Then you need to aggressively pursue holiness, of being pure, of being set apart, of being transformed into the likeness of God. And then as you're doing that, he's saying, listen, look around you, for everybody who's around you should be doing the same thing, so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. How do I fail to receive God's grace is on an intentionality to go in a way that is opposite of where God is leading me. It's not that God's grace and provision isn't there, but God gives you and I the ability to turn and walk the other way should we choose to. So the writer of Hebrews is saying, listen, the only way you're going to get through this, don't worry, you are not alone. Come on. We are here with you. Right. You know what I mean? Like, this longevity of faith, this strength in faith, this richness in faith, the writer of Hebrews is saying, hey, don't do this alone. Do this together. So why is 2020 so deadly? Because of what? It was continually trying to isolate us apart. And why, I was reading these statistics these, this week about the mental health statistics in America. And every category, every gender, every age range, etc., all had a negative impact on their mental health other than one category. This is totally... Feel free to fact check me even if you want to pull out your phone right now. 2020 mental health, numer I checked this on four different sites and four different polling groups. You know the one, the one category of people that didn't have a negative effect on their mental health? Those who attended church weekly. Can I tell you this? 
those who attended church sometimes had a negative effect on their mental health. The only, these are secular polars, okay? These, are, these aren't Christian organizations. Of course, Christian organizations have done theirs too, right? And every, I'm sure every pastor is like, see, I told you, you know what I mean? But whatever polling company you choose to go with, look at it. Every demographic, every race, every age group, every gender, every social status had a negative percentile on the effect of mental health. And the only one that actually saw an increase were those who attended church weekly. So the writer of Hebrews is saying this. You're not going to be able to even do this by yourself. So you've got to work, aggressively pursue this, unite, this wholeness, this tying together what is divided, peace. You've got to aggressively pursue holiness. And then he's saying, listen, but look after one another so that none of you fails to receive what God is wanting to do in this season. What God has wanted, been trying to do all year long to you. And what he's been wanting to try to get through and develop in you, it's never just about you. It's about those who are around you. How many of you know that the things that God does in your life, it's never just about you? It's always about how is God going to use you and your story and what he's doing in you to encourage those who are around you. Look after each other so that no one fails to receive this grace of God and watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you because it's going to have effect on the many. A guy by the name of William Barclay is a theologian wrote the phrase, that the phrase fall short of the grace of God might also be translated to failing to keep up with the grace of God. The idea is that the grace of God is constantly moving forward and moving on, past the pain, past the hurt, and you also should move on. So the writer of Hebrews is saying, hey, you've got people who are probably going to want to set up camp in the place of bitterness and disappointment. And they'll miss out on what God is wanting to do, not because God isn't trying to get it to them, but God is constantly trying to pull them forward, and they're saying, but I've built, my, I've built a fence around my offense. Ooh, this is, this is all right preaching this morning. I'm just going to say, just going to say. I've got to speed up or else we're not going to finish Hebrews 12. Verse 16, are you still with me? Verse 16, make sure that no one is immoral or godless like Esau who traded his birthright. His birthright? No, nope, not the birthright. The birthright. Okay. I'm just going to move along. There's a joke to be made there, but I'm going to keep going. Okay. Traded his birthright as the firstborn son for a single meal. You know that afterward, when he wanted his father's blessing, he was rejected. It was too late for repentance, even though he begged with bitter tears. What is he talking about? Capitalizing on a now moment at the expense of what God is doing in the future. Making sure that there's not even one moment of where we're divulging in to something to fill our natural needs at the sacrificing of what God is doing. Verse 18. I could camp out there, but i got to keep going. Verse 18 says this. It says, For you have not come... You have not come to a physical mountain, rather to a place, sorry, to a place of flaming fire, darkness, gloom, and whirlwind, as the Israelites did at Mount Sinai. For they heard an awesome trumpet blast and a voice so terrible that they begged God to stop speaking. They staggered back under God's command. If even an animal touches this mountain, it will be stoned to death. Moses himself was so frightened at the sight that he said, I am terrified and trembling. No, you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, 
and the countless thousands of angels in a joyful gathering. What is the writer of Hebrews talking about? It's talking about our access, our access to Jesus. That when we come to pursue God, that we're not coming, the story is alluding to is in Exodus chapter 19. We're at the base of Mount Sinai. Back in those days, Moses was the mediator. He went up to the mountain. He heard from God. He came down. He gave the message to Aaron. Aaron then gave the message to the people. Nobody had direct access to God. Nobody had direct access to being able to hear what God's plan for what he was doing in the earth was. It was all through this man named Moses. And, and so the writer of Hebrews is saying, listen, don't think back to this way that you're coming to a spot where you have no access to God or, or this, this area of fear, this area of intimidation, right? Nobody could step foot on the mountain or touch the mountain or be killed. It says, no, you've come to Zion. What is Zion? It is the illustration of where his kingdom will be established in Israel when he returns. In other words, he's saying you have full access that even in the, in the midst of you having shaky faith, weakness in faith, a poorness in faith, you have access to come back to the source and be then redeemed in full of faith again. He's saying there is no hesitation. There is, there's no barrier. There's no obstacle that's actually, you don't have to go through somebody else. You don't have to have somebody pray on your behalf. You have direct access to the one who is the distributor of faith. And so it doesn't take eloquent words. It doesn't take a certain process. It literally just takes your pursuit. Can I tell you something? There's no three-step way to get into the presence of God. It just takes you having your mind set on him. It just takes your focus, your attention being on him. That's it. The writer of Hebrews is saying this isn't some religious experience that you have to follow a certain way or mechanism or, oh, no, you did a step wrong. He's saying, no, 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 it is just your focus, your pursuit, your attention, your devotion. So don't think that you're on the outside looking in. He is longing. He's longing for you to have pursuit of who he is. Verse 23, he says this. For you have come to the assembly of God's firstborn children, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God himself, who is the judge over all things. You have come to the spirits, excuse me, of the righteous ones in heaven, who have now been made perfect. You have come to Jesus, the one who mediates the new covenant between God and his people and this and the, excuse me, and to the sprinkled blood which speaks of forgiveness instead of crying out for vengeance like the blood of Abel. What is he saying? He's saying you've come to the area of grace. That there's no ritual or routine or process that you have to go through because Jesus has already paid for it. He's just longing. He is just, that's been, can I tell you one of the most terrifying things about 2020 was? not knowing how everybody was doing. You got to know, as a pastor, you can run every metric report to figure out who's come to church. Especially now, it's even easier with, you know, having to register for church and check in. Now we really know who's here, right? Not who those who's like, hey, can you take a picture and Photoshop me in church so I can say, praising Jesus this morning with my besties, right? We know who's here and who's not. You can run every report and every tracking thing, giving and kids and all these type of things. But so much of pastoring people is being able to get in front of them, to see them in gatherings like this, to, 
catching up for coffees or lunches or getting families together or connecting in the foyer or meeting people in the blue room and things along those lines. And I can tell you the most agonizing part of quarantine was like, man, I, there's people I can't get in touch with. I don't know how they're doing. I spent so much of my time in praying for each and every one of you and praying for even those who've still yet to come back to an in-person gathering. Going, God, if there's one thing that I can pray in this season, there's one thing I can pray right now, is that they're taking this time to, to be more, get their ears in tune with your voice. I was praying and hoping, God, let this be a time where they're pursuing you. Let this be a time where the, the, the intimacy in, in their relationship with you was, was growing, was evolving, was, was catching life. Why? Why? Because Jesus is trying to, to exemplify here to the writer of Hebrews is saying, listen, it doesn't take some clever wording. It doesn't take anything other than just your thoughts, your eyes, your pursuit of him. And sometimes my pursuit of Jesus is on my hands and knees. And pounding the floor and crying out for you and crying out for my family and crying out to hear his voice. And other times my pursuit of Jesus is driving in my car. And, other, and, Jesus, and the writer of Hebrews is trying to say, hey, can you just take the religiosity out of it? And know that this, this deposit of faith, this longevity in your faith, it's going to come out of all the things we've talked about this morning. But fundamentally, you need to understand that you're coming to somebody who there are no barriers. Can I tell you the only barrier between you and God is the barrier you put up in your mind? But that God has no barrier? That God wants to get to you more than you want to get to Him? Can I tell you that? I just feel to share this a story, and then I'm just going to be done. And I'll probably read these last couple of verses just in closing. Danae, you can come up. I don't know why. This wasn't in my notes, but this has just got to be for somebody this morning. So... Just bear with me out of some sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. Over these last couple of weeks, I've been meeting with this guy who's, I just want to think of how I need to tell this story just to be sensitive. I've been meeting with a guy over the last several weeks who's had some real health challenges, physical challenges that have frankly permeated almost every area of his body. He's felt a little bit like the one with the issue of blood. He's been to probably five different doctors and no doctor can actually tell him what's wrong with him. He's been very discouraged. So a lot of our conversations have just been, come on, God is faithful. He's a man of his word. And listen, even though that doctors can't figure out what's going on with your body right now, he's the great physician. You need to know that. That you don't need a medical diagnosis for you to have peace of mind. <laughs> I've had to tell, tell him that, I posted a Facebook post the other day about I've never Googled myself to peace, but I have Googled my way to panic. He's been trying to figure out what's going on with my body. And we've been walking through this journey, and every phone call I'll get after a doctor's appointment, and says, no, they, nobody knows. They've done these scans. They've done these tests. Nothing's coming back conclusive. They can't tell me what's going on with my body, but I'm in pain. Parts of my body aren't functioning at the, at the strength that they were could feel my body deteriorating. And I asked him this question. I said, let me just ask you this. Do you believe that God can heal you? Actually, don't, let me, don't, even, ask, don't even answer that. Not do you believe God can heal you. Do you believe God will heal you? Heal you? There was a short pause, and he looked at me, and he said, no, I don't. 
I said, well, why do you think that is? Why, why do you think you don't believe that God can heal you? He says, well, what you don't know is that everything that's happening to my body, without going into detail, was due to a poor decision that I made. Actually had a situation, I made a poor decision, and actually these are all the lasting effects of a poor choice in a moment. And if this would have just happened to me naturally, like I woke up one day and my body started failing, I'd have no problem believing that God could heal me. But because I feel like right now I'm suffer suffering, a bit, frankly, the consequences of my own actions, it's hard for me to get over that hurdle. I said, man, I, what you're carrying is shame. What you're carrying is guilt. Did you know that God doesn't operate in guilt or shame? That the things that you're feeling actually aren't from God? It's because it's counter to his nature and counter to his character and his integrity? I said, oh, hang on a second. Let me just go with you with your train of thought for a moment. You said you don't believe that God can heal you because you believe you're reaping the consequences of a poor decision that you made that brought on these health challenges. He said, yes. I said, let me ask you this. Do you believe that God can forgive you? Do you believe that you've sinned? I'm not saying that what you did was a sin, but do you believe you have sin in your life? He said, yes. I said, great. Do you believe that God can forgive sin? He said, well, of course I can. Because that's why he came. He came as the payment for our sins. He was crucified on the cross so that he took our place in payment for sin. I said, okay, great. What does the Bible say? The wages of sin is what? The wages of sin is death. Okay, why? what brings on death? He said, sickness. I said, great. So the fact of sickness or any sort of thing that's out of alignment in our body is a result of sin being entered in the world. So if you can believe that God has the ability to forgive your sin, but you don't have the ability to believe that God can heal your body from a poor choice, then he would cease to be God. Because how could he forgive sin of a poor decision in one area, but not heal your body from a sickness of a poor decision in another area? I said, I never thought of it that way. I said, because if you have the ability to believe that God can forgive your sin, then how could he forgive one foolish mistake and not another one? And what happened in that moment was I saw life restored in his eyes. Why? Because he kept in his prayer time coming to Sinai and not Zion. He kept coming to the spot where he felt like God was distant, and that if I got, and at this point, he's just begging for mercy. He's begging for a prophetic word. He's begging for somebody else to be the mediator. And just in, once again, there was never a barrier anywhere other than in his mind. And as soon as that barrier was removed, he went from Sinai to Zion. He went from God feeling distant and judgmental, and I'm reaping the consequences of my own decisions of saying, no, Jesus, your payment of your life was the perfect payment for all things. And so now I come with, now I come with, Assurance. Now I come with boldness. Now I come with confidence. Now I come with and receive what? A deposit of faith. And he just called me two days ago and he says, you're never going to believe this. Almost every single physical symptom is gone but one. Guess what? Nothing changed. He didn't get a diagnosis from a doctor. He didn't start taking any sort of prescription pills or anything along those lines. All that happened, what, is a barrier was torn down in his mind. And he went from one who looked me in the eyes less than a week ago and said, I don't believe God's going to heal me, to saying, I know, and I'm already declaring it. That stuff messes me up, man.
this barrier, this richness in faith, this longevity of faith. Writer Hebrews is saying, you've got to understand which mountain you've actually come to. You haven't come to the one that keeps you at a distance because of all your shortcomings, and you've got to go through this process to deem yourself worthy enough or talk to the right person on your behalf. But you've come to a spot with no barriers, with no restrictions, and no anything, and he's just longing for you to run. Run to him. I'm going to read these last few verses because we've got to finish Hebrews 12. I made a commitment to you and myself and to Jesus that we were going to end this today. Last few verses, verse 25. It says this. It says, be careful that you do not refuse. Ooh, I wish I could preach this for a second. But you do not refuse to listen to the one who is speaking. For if the people of Israel did not escape when they refused to listen to Moses, the earthly messenger, we will certainly not escape if we reject the one who speaks to us from heaven. When God spoke from Mount Sinai, his voice shook, shook excuse me, the earth. And now he makes another promise. Once again, I will shake not only the earth, but the heavens also. My question to you is this. When everything else is shaken, are you still standing? Verse 27, this means that all creation will be shaken and removed so that only unshakable things will remain. Since you're receiving a kingdom that is unshakable, let us be thankful and please God by worshiping him with holy fear, that reverence and awe. For our God is a devouring fire. You see, a richness in faith is an unshakable faith. Can I tell you something? There's something to be said that after the shaking that has been this year, that A, you're still standing. Can I tell you, there's something to be said that even the, the shaking that has been this year, that you're still trusting Jesus, that you're still showing up, that there's still a smile on your face. I understand you may be, that may be every muscle in your body to get that smile up because of how you feel on the inside. But can I tell you something? 2020 is shaking us all. And sadly, there's some that still aren't standing. But there's something to be said that your faith still stands. That you've got enough faith to keep going. That you've got enough faith. And what God has been trying to do in you all along this year has been to develop your faith, to strengthen your faith, to put an endurance in your faith. But what does Hebrews 12 give us? Every time we get weary, we know what? We shake the weight. We strip it off. We deal with the sin. We fix our eyes. We keep the perspective that everything that's happening in my life, God is using it for my good. And then I make the decision. I'm going to aggressively pursue peace. I'm going to aggressively pursue holiness. I'm going to look out for others. I'm going to make sure that we're in this together. I'm going to make sure bitterness does not have its place in my life. I'm going to fix my eyes. And I'm going to realize that there's no barrier between me and what God is trying to do, which God is trying to say. And the second that I feel a barrier in the, in, the, in the way, I cast down every thought that tries to exalt itself above the nature of God. I tear down every stronghold that is in my mind. And I know that I run to Zion. Why? Because my faith is found there. It's filled there. So that when the shaking comes, I can still be standing. See, Hebrews 12 is just a blueprint on how to live a life of faith. And I just wanted us to go through this journey together. Why? Not so that you can survive the next 11 days with your family to finish out 2020. 
but how dare we go through a year like 2020 and not come out changed and not come out different and not come out stronger come on if I'm going to go through the hell I've been through this year I'm coming out stronger why? not because my life just depends on it but the lives of those around me and the next generation and the next generation once again it's not about being rich in a moment anybody can do that it's about living a longevity of faith and richness in our life. Two things I want to do when we're finished this morning. One of which is this. Of course, I'm going to pray over you, and I'm going to pray just like I do every single week after the message, praying that this word doesn't just become something that we're fired up about for the 30 or so minutes that we're together. That it becomes something that changes your life that flips your perspective, that engrafts its way into your heart. So, of course, I'm going to pray for that, as I always do. But I really feel this morning that there are those maybe in the room. He said, you know what? It's not that I've just got a weakness in faith, but I've actually abandoned faith. You see, I profess to others that, yes, I'm a churchgoer, and yes, I'm a Christian, and all that type of stuff, but really, my faith has been in myself and not really in Jesus. And I need to not just have Jesus as my Savior, but rather as my Lord. As the one in whom my faith, my trust is in. The one who is leading me. The one who is guiding me. I just really feel, even if it's just one person in the room, that we need to have a prayer of salvation this morning. But for you, it hasn't been necessarily a complete abandoning of God, but it has been an abandoning of your faith. And Scripture says you can't even be saved without the grace that is given to you through what Jesus has done, but by your faith in him. So I want to lead you in a prayer of rededication this morning. Is that okay? Would you do me a favor? Would you bow your heads? Would you close your eyes? This last thing we're going to do before we close out services this morning. Would you repeat this prayer of salvation with me just all together? Just understand you may not be saying it for you, but you're saying it to encourage somebody in the room this morning. Repeat this prayer after me. Say, dear Jesus, I thank you for the price that you paid so that I could be free. Today, I ask you to come into my life. Make me brand new. I acknowledge my need for you this morning. And I repent for all the things I've done wrong and for not having my faith in you. Today, come and make me new. My life is yours. Lead me, guide me forever. In Jesus' name, just every head bowed and every eye closed. If you prayed that prayer this morning, maybe you're that person I was talking about a second ago. Where you know, hey, my faith has just been in the wrong place. And today, I've, I've recommitted. I've reprioritized. I've put Jesus back in his rightful place. As Savior, as friend, but as Lord over my life. If you know you made that decision today, would you just be as bold on the count of three just to put your hand up and wave at me? I just want to know who that was. I just want to pray for you. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you out or anything like that. But if that was you this morning, would you be as bold just to put your hand up on the count of three? One, two, three. Just right there. Just put your hand right at me. Say, yeah, that's, that's me. Jesus' name.
God, I thank you. I thank you for the decisions made in this room this morning. And God, I pray over this word today that it engrafts its way into our hearts, that it doesn't help us to finish 2020 strong. But Lord, we want that. But Lord, that it does, and it fulfills its work in our lives, which is living a life rich in faith, bold in faith, having a longevity in our faith. Lord, let this word change us, transform us, cause us to see your heart better, differently. God, and we just thank you for what you're doing in and through this place. You're doing in and through the lives of people. We honor you today, and we thank you for just an incredible morning, being sharpened in your word and in community together. In Jesus' name we pray, and everybody said, amen. Come on, did you get anything out of